0: welcome to the summit for wellness podcast where we help you climb to the peak of your health and
1: now here is your host brian carroll Hello and welcome back to the Summit for Wellness podcast. This episode is brought to you by Inessa, which is a skincare company that makes products from pure and organic ingredients that result in effective products which bring a more radiant and beautiful skin tone all naturally. And as we'll be talking in this episode about skincare, there's a lot within the skincare industry that isn't regulated. So it's very important to get your products that are Made of organic ingredients and are pure because what you put on your skin does interact with the rest of your body. So it's very important to make sure that the ingredients that are used within your products are good. Quality ingredients, and we'll be talking a lot more about that in this episode. So to learn more about Enessa, then go to summitforwellness.com/enessa, and that is E-N-E-S-S-A. And if you use the coupon code Summit for Wellness, you will receive fifteen percent off your first order. I also have a very exciting announcement to make because we have an upcoming webinar all about the keto diet. It is called the Keto Restore Diet, How to Properly Prepare Your Body for the Keto Diet. And I decided to do this webinar because there's so many programs coming out for the keto diet and no one is talking about how to actually prepare your body before going into a high fat state. So in this webinar, we'll be talking about how to prepare your body to start adapting to more of a fat burning state and how to do that effectively and in a way that's safe for the body and not overloading the body. So I also have my keto program that will be launching at the same time. Whether you want to join the keto program or not, that is up to you, but the webinar will still be extremely valuable. So if you go to SummitForWellness.com slash keto webinar, then you can see the upcoming times for the different webinars and you can join in and listen to the fun all about the keto diet. Okay, in this episode I brought on Michelle Orenstein to talk about quality control of skincare products and how to make sure that the skincare products you are using are made of very high quality products. So she talks about how to know if the products you are using are high quality what ingredients to be on the lookout for, and to make sure that the product companies that you use have a relationship with the suppliers that they use to receive the ingredients that they use within their products. So let's go ahead and listen in to what Michelle had to say about quality control of skincare products. Michelle Ornstein has been in the skincare field since the age of 16. She was an esthetician for 25 years and is certified in aromatherapy and natural product formulation. She has attended numerous courses in cosmetic chemistry and has been an active member of the Society of Chemists of Los Angeles for the past 15 years. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on to the show.
0: Thank you, Brian, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Now, it's pretty fascinating to find someone that's been working in their field since the age of 16. Can you talk about what brought you into care and what kind of grabbed your attention with it?
0: Sure. Um, so I remember at, uh, well, just a little bit of background of my, uh, growing up, growing up in Israel, um, I grew up in a kind of a holistic home where my father was a vegetarian. He introduced us to juicing as a part of our normal diet. But uh, I have to say that uh, he's almost uh, 91, and he still juices daily. Um, On the other hand, I was a typical teenager uh, who didn't eat very well. So uh, my skin started to break out, and I remember that I needed to do, you know, to figure out what I'm going to do, because it really affected my self-esteem. And one of my girlfriends said that she just got the best facials in a in a beautiful spa in Beverly Hills, and I should go and see the esthetician. So um, I gather up some money, and I remember that I said, "Okay, I guess that's going to fix my problem." And I just need a really good facials, and probably you know get some good products, and that would do it. So I uh, had my first facial, and that was a really bad experience. I have to say, I have olive skin complexion. And uh, I remember that she was picking so much on my skin and she actually created the marks that took like almost, you know, two months for my skin to heal from the marks. And at that point I was traumatized because I thought, oh, I'm I'm never doing that again. Um, In terms of skincare, I remember that I couldn't afford buying all the stuff that she wanted me to buy. And I thought, okay, um, that's not going to work. So I have to figure out something else. Then the next thing that I thought was, oh, well, a dermatologist could fix my skin. So I went ahead and booked an appointment with a really well-known dermatologist in Beverly Hills. I remember that I had to wait two months for him to actually be able to uh, you know, see me, and I finally got my appointment. I was so excited. I said, yes, I finally have my appointment to see the dermatologist. And I remember walking uh, into the room waiting, and when he finally stepped in, he introduced himself and he says, so what are you here for? And I said, well, you know, I have acne. My skin is broken out. And he goes, oh, he didn't even get close. He just kind of sat down and immediately took a pad and a pen and started to write a prescription. And I was thinking, what? This is crazy. This is all he's doing? And I had to stop him and said, I'm sorry, but what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm writing a prescription for antibiotics and, uh, and retin-A. And then I thought, that that's all you're going to do? Like, I waited two months so you can come and, you know, see me. Like, maybe you have other questions. Like, why am I breaking out? He says, oh, no, there it's it's very normal. And, um, you know, that's that's your age. And um, there's nothing else that, you, you know, you could do. I said, well, what about, can I eat anything? He goes, oh, yeah, diet has nothing to do with it. You can eat whatever you want. And, um, you know, just... Uh, Take the antibiotics. I said, Well, I'm not going to take antibiotics because I don't believe in taking antibiotics for for my skin. And he says, Okay, we'll just use the Retin A. So I said, Okay. I was very disappointed with the visit, obviously, because I felt that was a very cold, um, not personal. Um, I didn't get anything other than a prescription, which I thought, Why did I even have to wait two months? I mean, that could have been a phone appointment. So needless to say, I did, you know, out of desperation, I did try the Um, Retin-A. I remember that it was really bad for my skin. Personally, I had a bad reaction. I have very thin skin uh, that reacts very quickly to pretty much anything that I apply on the skin, good or bad. And I started having this blotchy, redness, itchy feeling. Uh, I think after like three applications, I completely stopped using it. So at that point, I was like, okay, this is, uh, I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I have to figure this out on my own. So at that time, uh, obviously, there was no computer internet. So I just went to the Beverly Hills Public Library, and I just started to check out books and from herbs, how to treat acne naturally. And I just, you know, was immersed in the whole topic of skincare. And the more I remember, the more I read, the more I wanted to dig into it. And the more I understood that it's more than just what I'm applying on my skin, I started to change my diet. Uh, I remember that my friend told me about a nutritionist that I I was um, talking to at the time. Then I started reading books about nutrition. Um, And then I went to the local health food store. It was a very small health food store where I lived, not the big, you know, chain health food stores that we have today. And I, found, uh, you know, small little pamphlets and that was, you know, they, they taught you how to kind of make your homemade, uh, skincare products. And, uh, I was very excited because they were selling all these bulk ingredients and then I could just buy all these bulk ingredients and, uh, try to make my own creams and scrubs from scratch. And, um, at the time I remember one of my uh, it was an inspiration to me. It was this natural brand um, that was uh, all about aloe vera and cucumber. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. You know, I need to do that, not realizing really that it was marketing. <laughs> you know, and then when, the, more I, the more I understood what I was um, reading and uh, reading the ingredients in the back the more I realized that I had more questions and the more I did not understand. So the more I dug into it, the more questions I had. And uh, I did, you know, enjoy, you know, at age 16, that's what I did. I started to just kind of make my own products for me at home. And uh, I remember my mother was telling me that I'm making a mess all the time. And it was uh, was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that. And then I remember that my skin started to clear up but again, I said I wanted more. At that time, I was determined that I needed to really understand more about the depth of ingredients and, and products. Um, I decided that after I graduated from high school that I was going to go to beauty school. I wasn't sure if that's what I was going to do as, as a profession, but I just thought, why not? I'm just going to take this course, and I love it, so it interests me, and I'm just going to see where it takes me. And uh, beauty school was like the best thing, the best experience that I've had personally, um, having, uh, being able to actually be with the same um, people that same, uh, you know, passion that want to discover, understand, doing hands-on work. And um, I was 18 already and I was licensed esthetician, so I was already working, um, in a very young age as an esthetician. It was tough for me to get my first job, because at that time I didn't realize that I was really young. I thought 18, you're really like, you know, an adult. So I uh, had a really tough time um, finding a job because I had no experience. I actually remember one day that I was sitting with the Yellow Pages, and uh, I said, I'm going to, I'm determined, I'm going to find it. And from A through Z, I called all the places in Beverly Hills until I was going to find a place that's going to say, yes, there's an opening, come for an interview. And I have to tell you, my first job was in the letter V of the alphabet. I can't wow. tell you. <laughs> and, um, and that meant, that meant so much to me when the lady said over the phone. Sure. Um, she didn't say come and, and fill an application. She actually said, why don't you come and, uh, and give me a facial and I'll see how you work. And, uh, I thought, wow, she's different because all the other places, they just wanted me to fill an application. So uh, that was my first and only job that I worked somewhere. It was, um, it was for a lovely woman uh, in Beverly Hills. She had her own little uh, spa. And I stayed working with her for four and a half years. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I felt that I was having conf- personal conflict with the products that she was carrying because I was studying on my own, more natural holistic approach to skincare, and she was, you know, completely she was European and she had a different approach to skincare than my, my beliefs were at the time. Um, and still, um, so um, after four year, four and a half years, and during actually that time, I started to do facials um, at home, seeing my friends, family. And, uh, and started blending and, you know, making things as I, you know, like I said, as I was reading from books. And um, I studied. Then in the summer, I went to Israel and I enrolled myself in an aromatherapy institute where they took the aromatherapy very seriously. I uh, was blessed to have an incredible um, teacher. He was like my aromatherapy guru. And he was teaching uh, for uh, estheticians and uh, health practitioners, not just necessarily um, how to make personal care, but also how to take uh, essential oils internally. So he, um, he had people that used to come from all over uh, to learn from him. And uh, I remember every year I went in the summer for three months to study um, with him until I got my certification. And that was to me like the biggest um, eye opener. I, I felt like it was I found my religion, you know, my true religion within my field. And it gave me the ability to actually create from a deeper understanding to have full control of the ingredients, the oils, the essential oils. Um, it's something that I I continually. I feel like it, I'm always a beginner on on whatever level that i'm I'm learning. Um, but I have to say that that was what really kind of took me to the direction of where I am today is is the start becoming an aromatherapist. Um, you know, from there, I evolved throughout the years. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more on um, how can I make I had an obstacle. When I started formulating essential oils with oils, at the time that I did this, that was in the 80s, where people were not um, open-minded as they are today about applying oils on their skin as a facial moisturizer. I remember that I used to uh, tell people that I practice aromatherapy, and they, they used to say, you, you do what kind of therapy? Um, and they just didn't understand. They said, oh, aromatherapy, oh yeah, the, the one that you put in your bath to put you in a good mood. Um, and that's all that they they had understanding back then about aromatherapy for the most part. Um, I, I remember that I got kind of tired and almost like, I felt like the aromatherapy world was not getting the, the attention and the respect that it really needs to have so my first brochure was what is aromatherapy by michelle and i just started handing it to people that asked me what is what kind of therapy do you do so (laughs) because i thought that was really funny um they um they were then more inquisitive but then it was still very difficult for me to um you know to uh educate people that it's really okay to put oils on your skin that it's not gonna clog your pores, that essential oils are not, you know, comedogenic as their, that was the biggest fear that every dermatologist was uh, was telling their uh, patients to make sure that they do not put oils on their face, especially when they have oily acne skin. Um, So throughout the years, um, as uh, the cosmetic industry has evolved I have to say that it's been the biggest blessing for me that finally there is a major awareness uh, to natural, uh, organic, essential oils, which it's uh, you know it's amazing how they're becoming. It's like a very popular thing right now, but it's been around for thousands of years. Um, I'm very I'm blessed to have a lot of other lines that are competing with with my line that are doing a a great job in educating and um, and marketing and embracing the whole natural and uh, you know organic um, essential oils oils and not fearing what you know 20 25 years ago everybody feared i i think it's pretty much almost almost gone at least in california i feel like people their awareness is is very much here too and people are seeking it more than anywhere else um, I also was involved in um, I wanted to do more than just oils because as I uh, as the cosmetic industry involved I was happy to see that every time I attended trade shows for ingredients for formulators there were more and more co- companies that were able to offer ingredients that were natural, that they was you know, creating different alternatives to silicones, to different, uh, to, to petrolatum ingredients, to ingredients that I personally never used in the beginning, because I, I started again as just blending oils and essential oils. But I always felt that I was stuck in continuing because there was nothing available for me, for my my belief of how I wanted to formulate as natural and as strict by the definition of natural for me. So the more that that was available, the more that I could just dig into it and started to enroll in, you know, more courses and, and uh, you know, training and cosmetic uh, chemists, um, some, you know, uh, Congress and and symposiums and people that came from different countries of teaching about their ingredients and how natural and organic is embraced today. So this has been um, allowing me to basically continue and evolve as the industry is evolving and opening its doors to us that, you know, this is what we want. It's basically, um, it's like I finally feel like, okay, there is a good fit there. Now I can create from a place and offer what I always envisioned to offer, but I I was stuck before.
1: It's really neat to hear that you were kind of ahead of the game with trying to find more natural ways to improve skincare because it you were at that point where it wasn't really well known and then now it seems to be a really big topic that people are talking about when it comes to using more natural products on your skin and taking care of your skin in different ways than just slathering on a bunch of different products packed full of different chemicals
0: yeah yeah that's that's right it you know sometimes i think um i was too uh i was too early to the game you know it's it was definitely much harder back then for me to sell my products than it is today. So, uh, but at the same time, I feel, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that I was introduced to it in a very young age. And, um, and today, because there is that need and desire and curiosity and appreciation, um, I'm benefiting even much more because, uh, companies and even, uh, you know, uh, growers of uh, you know uh, herbs and and plants. They are deciding to distill uh, and create essential oils and oils that they were not available. You know, twenty years ago. So um, it's uh, it's it's fantastic. It's great. Like for instance, when I started blending um, essential oils with oils carrier oils, there were very few that were um available you know they were like the the basic almond oil the sesame oil the hazelnut oils a lot of the nut oils um, and definitely not organic so um, i was kind of stuck with just whatever was available Today, um, it's, uh, it's just amazing. Every time I go to a trade show, I just come back with this incredible high of like, oh my God, look at this. You know, I just discovered this in a new oil from uh, you know India. I got discovered this you know, from just really exotic oils The Morocco. They are just different oils that never were available. Nobody even would have cared if they were available 20 years ago because people would fear oils so it's it's very interesting how to see not just as formulators have changed because we have changed society have changed and created this need for um for us to formulate better products so since we are having this strong demand you know we want better ingredients then the ingredients manufacturers are forced to change their either existing ingredients and make them, you know, more natural and not as toxic or the ones that, you know, even natural to just, okay, let's just grow now organic because there's more demand and people want organic. And um, so I see that also, and I'm sure you're in the same field with uh, the holistic field. It's the same thing with the the food industry. Yeah.
1: Right. And you've mentioned quite a few times about the difference between the ingredients that are used within the industry. Can you talk about what are some healthier ingredients to use and what might be more toxic or harmful to the body to
0: use? Um, Sure. So in terms of, um, toxic ingredients, you know, it's one thing that, um, I, I, People always like ask me. It's really funny, but I get these emails and questions: um, "Are you cruelty free? To um, use any, you know, synthetic? Like these questions that you know, and, I, and I understand where people are coming from because today people are used to seeing these cosmetic companies, like big chain companies, that decided to reformulate their their products and they're not right away are putting no parabens uh, you know, no GMOs, no, 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 no synthetic and all of that. And for me, it was no from the day one. It was not that I reformulated because natural is in today. I was never into it. So, um, those ingredients that I'll, you know, I can mention, um, these toxic ingredients. Um, I, I know that they're still using them in the U.S. I am hoping that, um, sooner than later that they're going to be banned from, from using them in the U.S. And I do believe that, uh, you know, the government will slowly um, pay more strict attention to the cosmetic industry and take it more seriously. Um, and that's one thing that I find that's, uh, that's alarming, is that uh, in the cosmetic industry, it's, uh, it's not regulated for the most part. They are trying to do a better job, but it's taking a very uh, slow, you know, motions in comparison to other countries. Um, for instance, uh, formaldehyde is is still used here. I mean, there's still a, some ingredients that I'm just shocked that are still there. And I, when I see them on, you know, in the main, you know, drugstore, you know, you go to the major stores and you just pick up if it's hair colors, if it's nail polish, if it's whatever cosmetics, makeup. Um, and these are big brands that are just feeling okay to still u- use these ingredients that are toxic. I mean, parabens, Parabens are probably not the worst thing. I mean, I, uh, I've never used them. I would not use anything personally myself with a paraben either, but, um, I just know that, you know, um, you know the other, like I said, formaldehyde, formaldehyde donors, uh, thylates. Uh, we we're talking about uh, sunscreen, avobenzone, and you know people are aware today that there are a lot of ingredients in sunscreens that they're more damaging, and it's better not to wear it than to do wear it. Um, they uh, they cause a lot of, you know, they they've done a lot of studies, and they are. You know, saying that they might you know lead to some uh, cancer. And even though that there is all these concern, it's still available. It's still there and and companies are still selling it. Um, I remember i was uh, it was a couple of years ago, and we have this uh, yearly uh, conference for for chemists we gather about 300 chemists usually, and people come from all over the world. And um, they brought somebody to speak, and one of the speakers was uh, from uh, FDA regula- regulations, and they did bring up the topic of um, all these ingredients that are soon to be uh, banned. Um, well, soon for the FDA is not soon enough, but... I, I was excited at least to see that. It was a large list of ingredients. I, there were over a thousand of ingredients that cosmetic in the cosmetic industry we were not gonna be allowed to use. Um, I remember looking at the room and seeing a lot of faces that were concerned because I realized that they were using these ingredients. Um, and I was just saddened to think like, wow, they're just thinking about the money that they're gonna be losing. But, you know, where, you know, where's the conscience? Like, you should be like, don't use it. I mean, you're harming somebody. Um, So I think um, there are so many um, toxic ingredients out there that are, they accumulate in the body and people just don't understand. They think that they are just applying it topically on the skin, but what they don't understand is that the skin absorbs... The ingredient and it gets into the body, and it gets into the liver. Um, One ingredient to talk about the ones that I, going back to the product that I used for acne that I tried retinol, retin A. Is uh, is a pretty harmful ingredient, and I know it's still used as and then talked about as one of the top products for ingredient for. um, you know, anti-aging, for acne, but what people don't understand that it is, um, it's, it's, it's pretty toxic and then not to mention that it thins out the, the skin and when you're thinning out the skin on a daily basis and you go in the sun, you're exposing your skin, your fresh new skin to um, get hyperpigmentation and skin dec- discoloration. So you're actually damaging your skin when you're doing this on a daily basis, not to mention that it causes you know, other bad reaction to the body because it stays with the body, in the body. Um, other, other ingredient that is pretty alarming to me that is still used is hydroquinone. And um, hydroquinone is known for skin lightener. And I remember in the '80s, everybody wanted to have their skin, you know, white. And even if there was just little, not not much of a pigmentation, they just thought it would be a, a great thing to lighten them, brighten their skin. And they would uh, go to the dermatologist, and they would just get a prescription for hydroquinone. And even if it was a minimal uh, percentage, you have to understand, you have to use this cream on a daily basis for at least six to eight weeks before you see any kind of results the results that you're supposed to see you're supposed to see your skin a little bit um, or maybe more than a little bit brighter lighter but at the same time when you're doing that you are creating a thinner skin again the same problem that is happening when when you're using retinols and that skin is you know, uh, sensitive to pigmentation. And um, and it's pretty toxic to the body. And in, when you're using something like this on a daily basis for a long period of time, it can also, you know, lead to some cancers. And people are not thinking about the long term. They're just thinking of today. Uh, I know that in Europe, it's banned in Europe and in other countries just like the other ingredients that uh, I mentioned. So hopefully this is something that, you know, it's, it's gonna be outlawed in here very soon too.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see that the FDA is actually talking about starting to ban some of these ingredients that are used because like you said, Europe has banned quite a few different ingredients and we seem to be so, bar, so far behind in banning ingredients that everywhere else seems to be banning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and on the contrary like there I know that there are some uh, ingredients in Europe that are approved um even as the SPF filters that are not approved in the US. So um every or even you know it's the same thing with uh you know each country has their own regulation Australia and Japan. So whenever um I get introduced to an ingredient that interests me that's always my first question is, I have to see which countries it's approved in, because uh, we do sell internationally and I never, and I want to make sure that, uh, you know, that we comply with, uh, with all the international laws.
1: So I have a question. Do you have to state on your products, all the ingredients that are used, or is that not really regulated as well?
0: Um, no, for cosmetics you do. I I know with perfume, you don't, but with skincare, you absolutely do. But, um, they are, there are different, um, rules in terms of how they see ingredients. So for instance, they look at essential oils as perfume. Now for, for them, it's just nice smelling essential oils or oils. They don't think it does anything, so you do not legally have to list every single essential oil in your formulation. You could just put proprietary blend of essential oils and that's fine. Um, the rest of the ingredients you you absolutely have to list and you should list them by the order of how it's used, you know, the higher percentage first and the lower. Um, you can he also put um, you know, uh, the if there is a, an ingredient that is, that's one thing that uh, you know, I don't like, but if there is an ingredient, for instance, um, that is used in a very low small dosage in a formulation, which means low, I mean below. 1% or below, you don't have to use, you don't have to, um, to put it on. Um, the one thing that I see that always bothers me is whenever I get introduced to, for instance, uh, extracts, uh, herbal extracts, different er- extracts. so the, the vendor would just name it, for instance, let's say green tea extract, but they will not tell you if they preserved it or they didn't preserve it. So when you're looking at a label of a product, the FDA would only require you to put the name green tea extract. But the extract that the company is selling to you is preserved with something. Even though it's a very small percentage of a preservative that they're using, but they are using a preservative. But you're not required to put that. Name of preservatives in your label. You only required to put green tea extract. So there's always this mystery because unless you really know um, with the composition of the extract, you don't really fully know that every single percent of ingredient that put, was put into the extract, and um, when i found this out years ago i was alarmed because i thought oh well this is crazy because if i choose not to put phenoxyethanol in my preservative in my products then why would i want phenoxyethanol as my preservative in my extract so when i realized that it was um, an issue for me to find what i really wanted um with with clean preservative, even though it was still very, very small percentage, I then decided that I would be, uh, the only way that I would actually, uh, you know, started to incorporate these extracts into my formulations is I would have to have them make it just for me with my preservative system, with my hurdle technology that I, you know, put together. And I know that it's, that it works and that it's natural and it's safe. And that's the only way that I use it, Um, I'll, I'll put, I'll send it to, to the, the lab that makes me the extract. And then I'll send them exactly the dosage, the formulation, how I want them to incorporate it. And that's the only way that I trust it because otherwise I most of the time I don't like what they're using. I don't like the, the, you know, the, the composition, the full composition. There's always something there that bothers me. Um, so yeah, there's always a, a hidden. I always feel like when you read a label, even though you think you know what you're getting, you really don't know 100% what you're getting because there isn't a really strict, you know, regulations and um, hopefully that will change.
1: Yeah, I hope that changes too because people could have reactions to certain components to those extracts, but if they don't put it on the label, then they would never know unless they test a product out and have a reaction to it.
0: Right that's that's right another thing about um you know labeling uh i wanted to kind of um you know say the same thing goes about oils when you're reading uh, an ingredient and it says the name of the oil and for instance you will say you know ahoba oil you know rosehip oil, sea buckthorn oil well they all sound wonderful and they're great oils but you do not even though it's organic and it will have you know the certified organic uh, word right next to it so you know and you're happy you're thinking oh this is awesome i'm getting the best quality certified organic rosehip oil well it doesn't necessarily mean that you are and unfortunately it's another thing that i learned throughout the years as i was you know doing a lot of uh, research with uh, different ingredients and getting samples
1: Uh, there are
0: so many different types of refinement that go people are refining oils just like you can imagine with the olive oil industry it's the same thing with the cosmetic industry so you have the same name but you have different grades you have different um you know smell color you name it (laughs) viscosity it's very different also different where it's growing and um And most of the time, big companies, they want an oil. What's the most important thing for them is a very consistent oil. They do not want to get a little uh, darker shade of oil uh, this month versus, you know, the last batch was very clear. So they want a consistency. And consistency means refining, refining the oil. Refining the oil, that means you're going to take out a lot of the natural nutrients that are found in the oil. You're going to take out the odor. You're going to take out, um, the, the color. And, uh, another reason why they like a very clear oil is because it's not going to interfere with the final color that they want to have as you know, to, the end market, most big companies, they want to sell just white creams. And uh, if you're going to be using, you know, natural unrefined oil and that has its natural aroma and color, you're not necessarily going to end up with the white cream. You might have a little, you know, beige or, you know, a little bit of a pigment to it because of all the other, you know, natural pigments that the oil carries with, with itself. So it's, uh, it's more complicated than uh, what... You know, like I said, the more you dig in, the more <laughs> the more you see that you need to dig further. <laughs> um,
1: and like you said, talking about how complicated it can be, when you went to that dermatologist for the first time, they were trying to give you a one-size-fits-all protocol, which wasn't going to work for you, and they never looked at. Um, your skin type, or anything like that. So, can you talk about different skin types and what the different skin types might mean for what people need mm-hmm. within their skincare?
0: Yeah, um, that's that's a really good point because uh, that's one thing that I I was very actually uh, frustrated with uh, that experience with that my visit that the doctor didn't even look at my skin. I mean, I'm olive complexion. I have thin skin, thin skin that scars very easily. Every little mark takes months to go away, and it reacts very quickly from you know any product that I will put on my face. So, for to just give a generic uh, prescription, it's obviously going to you know affect everybody's skin completely differently. Uh, like I said, I did not handle the retin A. I know a lot of people can handle retin A when they have a thicker skin and when you have a skin that's more resilient, that's not as sensitive. It can, you know, it can handle more aggression. My skin can never handle that, and that's another reason why I was always, you know, uh, trying to figure out how am I going to find the right products for me because I had such a sensitive skin. Um, I think it's a blessing to have sensitive skin. I think. Um, I feel like it's basically like your body is saying, oh, "I don't want this stuff. This is not good for me," um, and your skin is forcing you to make a change. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that every natural and uh, uh, you know organic pure essential oil or or oil is uh, is not going to react with the, with your skin. But one thing I have to say that at least essential oils are not going to damage your body. Um, essential oils, they, they flush out from the body within six hours through urine and, and sweat. And uh, if somebody has an allergic reaction, they just need to drink a lot of water. And uh, the, the body is not being damaged by um, by using essential oils, versus when you do use um, you know, harsh chemicals that um, within time, it does build up in the, like I said, it can give you liver toxic and it does build up in the body. Um, I wanted to talk about the difference between when I was an esthetician, actually, I didn't even mention that. I think I forgot to mention um, that I did 25 years, hands-on, I did facials, I had a spa I had a spa in Melrose, and um, that was a beautiful spa that I, I envisioned as a, you know, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to build a home for my, like a sanctuary. I had this vision that I'm going to build this holistic sanctuary where I'm going to be doing all the natural treatments, and I'll bring in a massage therapist and an acupuncturist and a Reiki, and I had that. It was, it was beautiful. Um, I had the spa in Melrose for 10 years. Prior to that, I was in Beverly Hills, another, another place that I was working at on my own that I rented. But I did 25 years hands-on. I um, basically developed the Nessa product line from being inspired throughout the years for my customers, my client, My client that came to me since I was 18, um, throughout the years, it was an involvement. So first it was, oh, well, everybody was kind of, most of the people were word of mouth. So they were all young, around my age. They were breaking out. They needed stuff for acne. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, acne treatments, acne facials, um, creating uh, blends. And I remember that I used to just write it with a little sticker and just send it home with my clients. I just thought this is something that I wanted to create to have For me to work with that. I know that is a clean product and that I can offer to my clients as well so um, I Was having um, a lot of success with uh, Dealing and understanding because I had been through this myself uh, And I understood what it is to really deal with acne and and more than just as a topical I always and still today I talk about dealing with your skin from inside out you know I don't look at um, you know here is the next here is the next product that's going to cure you here is my amazing potion yes you've had dealt with cystic acne all your life well, you're gonna use this and it's gonna be gone for life no I always say that it's more there's more than just the next product that you're gonna put on your skin you have to do more personal work and you have to as as you know it's what we eat it's your lifestyle it's sleep sleep is so important to get a good night's sleep to to be less stressed to exercise to just you know be a happier you whatever you can do not pick at your skin so this is something that i always incorporated into my practice um the skin dealing with with um, dry skin, oily skin, rosacea—I've seen all the different types of skins throughout the 25 years of you know having a spa, doing hands-on facials. Um, I basically dealt with the most sensitive type of skin that could not handle any you know regular creams, and with essential oils, we were able to balance the skin. And getting into a situation that the client was not, her skin was not as aggravated, not as flaky. Uh, it does take, like I say, it takes um, a discipline also from, from the actual you know client herself. You know, I used to educate them not to pick because a lot of people have this tendency to attack their skin and they think they're doing good by, by getting a, a lot of uh, doing the home extractions and, and not realizing that they're actually uh, aggravating it. A lot more than you know than doing good sometimes it's better to just let the skin be you know just let it rest you know the body is so smart the body knows how to heal itself so you know you have to just do other things internally and assist and the body is going to naturally fix itself
1: yeah and talking about that working from the inside out a lot of times we see Acne prone skin as more of a symptom of other stuff going on inside. So, if your body is having a hard time detoxing something, then it starts pushing things through your skin. Or if you're having some kind of reaction, maybe to the foods that you're eating within. S- with inside your body then you're going to see it pop up somewhere on your skin so like you said it's very much you have to have a balance of the external and the internal and you want to make sure that the stuff on the external of your skin is also going to be good for you and not pushing more harmful toxins into your body that just aggravates the entire system more
0: Mm -hmm. that's so true that is so true you know i have to tell you brian like i remember this client i had about 20 years ago she um, had, she was a beautiful girl, had this really severe, gigantic cystic acne on her face. And she came to me for facials. And um, I was very honest with her. And I said to her that she really needs to address it from within. There's something going on. And she found a holistic practitioner. And this was like 20 years ago. And then she came to me and she said, Guess what? I, they found what I was allergic to. I said, what were you allergic to? And she says, for some reason, I'm allergic to something that is in wheat. And this was 20-something years ago. And back then, I was like, really? Because, you know, I nobody back then talked about gluten. And uh, so she stopped eating wheat. She stopped eating wheat. And her skin, it was incredible. Her skin cleared up. Of course, she came and did facials and used essential oils. She did all that in conjunction with, with changing her diet. But it was it was basically, I know for a fact, that it was the stopping eating whatever she did, the, the wheat products that she stopped eating, um, that was the what made a huge difference. Because she said every time she cheated, she would see another cyst would be, you know, starting to form, which to me, that was another, you know, uh, indication, like... Yeah, you have to address it from within. You can't just expect, you know, the quick fixes from the external.
1: Right, and that's so true. So many people benefit by even removing something like gluten out of their diet, and they notice that there's a huge reduction in their acne. And the tough part for kids is all the food that's available at their schools mm-hmm. or all the food that mm. everyone has is all processed food. So they don't realize that it makes that much of an impact. And so they do want to go in for those facials or they go to the dermatologist and get the antibiotics. And they're not realizing that there's a lot more to the picture than just that.
0: That's true. That's, that's so true. And I have to tell you, I have, I have two teenagers at home, a 17 year old and a 13 year old. And at home, we we live very healthy, eat very you know, organic. I cook a lot. We uh, they know, they know to choose healthy ingredients at home. But like you said, the temptation is outside, and at the end of the day, they are teenagers, and they you know they have friends and they go out and they have parties, and uh, it's very difficult. So I think, but but I think that what's what I do see that even when my kids don't always eat. 100% great, I feel like if the majority, which is, you know, home-cooked meals, and the majority of the time, they do eat really well, and I, I believe that as they get older, they would revert to just, you know, sticking to what they were taught at home, you know, and just having a very clean diet, you know, that's that's the hope.
1: Yeah. And sometimes kids, they just kind of have to work through the process themselves to figure it out. So you have to be able to accept that you, no matter what you tell them, they're going to try and figure out a different way to learn those lessons anyways. So that's right.
0: That's right. I mean, I'm labeled the fanatic, so it's okay.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> you know. So
1: <laughs> earlier you, you were mentioning um, how you wanted to know what's in every single extract that you use and all the ingredients, which means you are going directly to either the growers or the suppliers or both. Can you talk about how important it is to have that relationship directly with the sources instead of working through the entire chain of buying a product that was bought by this business over here and produced by these people. And you don't know who's within that chain and what they're doing with the product at each stage.
0: Mm -hmm, Sure. So, I believe that um, you know the more um, you know the more popular ingredient becomes, the more um, alteration we will see within that ingredient. So I'll give you an example when um, well, well, we don't have to go far. lavender essential oil, lavender essential oil, and this is uh, something that is known for a long time that comes from France. There is a you know a maximum of yield of an essential oil per year that France is basically able to you know produce uh, from their lavender fields to create the lavender essential oil. Well, it's uh, very interesting how they are exporting more yields. Of lavender, essential oil than they are capable of producing in a year, so what it means to you that there is adulteration somewhere, and this is happening a lot in in many ingredients and essential oils, you know all over the world. Um, also there is a problem with cold pressed oils. You know, whenever there is, uh, there was a shortage years ago, there was a major shortage of hoba oil. And um, and there was a lot of adulterations. I, I had a hard time um, getting supply for my regular supplier when I used to, uh, had no problem. And when I had a hard time getting supply and the supply was uh, in such a high demand, I used to be getting uh, solicited with other vendors telling me that it's uh, it's a hoba-like oil, and I'm like a hoba-like oil. Like I, I just couldn't understand all the stuff that the, all the. Cre- Let me just say the creativity that is out there in alter, alteration is amazing. It just amazes me how people do all this stuff because anything just to have the supply because the demand is there and there is no limit that I see what somebody is willing to do in order to just get it to the to the end user, if it's you, the formulator, to be able to formulate so you can give it to your client. I would much rather say, I'm sorry, I'm out of that oil. I cannot, with my conscience, just sit and say, okay, I'm going to buy a pretend, but this is a problem that's been, what's going on with with pretty much all the natural ingredients that are out there and you have to be very careful who you source um, your raw materials from. I um, am privileged that I get to travel often. Um, I go directly, I visit, I visit the farm. I source directly as much as I can. Even if I don't get to visit the farm, I know where it's located. I've, I do a lot of my um, studies um, and I know that they are growing it. I work with the um, essential oil growers that distill um, specific um, essential oils for hydrosols. Um, that's another thing. Hydrosols have been uh, mis uh, mislabeled. Miss uh, the names that they are, you know, calling them. Um, they will call. Um, Floral water that they created with just water and essential oil, they will call it a hydrosol, but it's not a pure hydrosol because a pure hydrosol is, is basically the byproduct of either a byproduct of a distillation process or you're actually distilling for the purpose of creating a hydrosol. So there's a lot of, you know, problem with that as well. Um, so for me, I make sure that I just work with. It's a, it's a lot more work because um, I work with people that I know this is their specialty. So if this Bulgarian uh, grower, they grow only rose and they only grow lavender, that's the only thing I'm going to source from them. If I see uh, somebody that has a list from here you know, to, to the entire list of essential oils, That they're offering obviously I know they're not the growers I know that they got it from a third party I have no idea if they diluted it in their lab before they're repackaging it and they want to ship it to me so I stay away from purchasing this way Uh, I want to make sure that I know exactly where everything comes from because the closer I get to you know to the ground where it came from uh, this is where the quality stays you know the then the further it, and this is the problem when people will say um oh lavender oil or such and such oil it, i tried it it doesn't work i did xyz oh it doesn't work well you tried a product with a name but it's probably not the same quality as what it's supposed to be so i i I think that this is um, something that consumers need to educate themselves a little bit more, to ask more questions, to ask the origin of the country, to ask, um, you know, if the oil has been refined, if it's, you know, anything that will give them that sense of security that they know that this is coming from firsthand.
1: Yeah, and I think more people like you, or there needs to be more people like you that go and meet with the suppliers and their growers, because I think that's such a powerful addition to the products that people make. And I had Joel Einhorn of Hana, who makes an Ayurvedic herbal blend on my podcast a few episodes ago, who he does the exact same thing over there in India, and Mm. he he goes directly to the source and he works with the growers and he has it a very specific way and you want to know what's in the product that you're offering especially when you want to offer a very clean product
0: that's so true that's so true speaking of india you just reminded me um when i was searching for a really um special oil that i could use for anti-aging um, I came across Moringa oil, and this was about probably at least more than f- five, six, seven years ago. And Moringa was not really known. There was no, no Moringa products on the market at that time. And I, I found the direct farm, organic farm in India, and usually, you know, Anessa is not a huge, uh, big company. And usually when you are importing, they, um, they like to get these big drums. But I wasn't sure of, of the quality. I wasn't really sure what I was going to get. So I always import a very small you know, quantity in the beginning. And um, I remember that I received my uh, stainless steel... Um, canister directly from India from the farm and it was organic and I opened it up the moringa and I thought wow that's a rich beautiful oil I mean it was just like the aroma I had then the little nutty smell the color the greenish color the yellow greenish color it was just like wow that's that's pretty incredible oil then I did more studying on it and I decided to incorporate it into our product line and um, Throughout the years, I, as I was attending trade shows, one day I'm walking by and I see a big sign with a company where they're selling a lot of oils. And then it was a big thing that says Moringa Oil. And I thought, wow, oh my God, Moringa Oil came to the U.S. That's pretty awesome. Maybe I don't have to import from directly from India. Maybe he's, he's importing. Okay. Well, I asked for a sample. And I can't tell you the sample that I received. I got something that is colorless, odorless. It was just like, oh my God. And it was organic. So that experience on its so own, I'll never forget that. Because I actually, and then I, I found other companies. I actually sourced just for the fun of it. I had four different samples from different suppliers of organic moringa oil. And I wanted to see how the market is basically supplying in the US the moringa oil to other, you know, cosmetic manufacturers. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this is what they're using, but they don't really know that the real moringa oil does not look or smell like this. The real moringa oil is the one that came directly from the farm, the organic farm from India that has the aroma and the color. So from that experience, I learned and <laughs> to really I have to educate people all the time. You can't just trust, you have to ask a lot of questions, and the more the oil is refined, you're not getting the same thing. So if you're seeing the name, whatever the same name of the oil on an on a label on ingredient, you still don't know. I think what would make somebody probably feel more secure is if I had to buy a product today, I would not buy from big big manufacturers I would always buy from small small manufacturers that manufacture you know small batches that really care because that's that's where the difference is it's the quality the quality that you're getting it's not about the name it's not the you know the marketing they have a you know they do a great job with that uh, but you're not getting the same thing
1: and speaking of quality, can you talk about the your the quality products that you produce at Anessa?
0: Um, yes. Um, so, as you sense by my um, my tone of voice, as I am a very um, strict, uh, I follow a very strict guideline when it comes to natural. Um, I don't even the, the the list of Whole Foods accepted list of ingredients is not something that. I think is acceptable for me personally. I think that they're accepting preservatives and ingredients that I choose not to put because they are also causing, may cause some skin irritations. So I choose to be as safe as could be. Every product that I um, that I made throughout the years actually came from an inspiration You know, when I think about um, all the different products that I've created throughout the years, they almost have a story behind them because either from a customer, somebody that needed to address a skin concern, or for, um, you know, when I had my kids, then I was inspired to create some baby products because I felt like there was something that was missing out there that was... uh, not as strong, um, that would really help if it's for the eczema, whatever it is that I was dealing with. Um, so the quality, I I make the product myself. So I think that should say a lot for somebody who is very um, strict in terms of sourcing, uh, you know, making sure that each batch is, is tested. Um, you know, we actually, uh, you know, bottle it ourselves. I mean, from A through Z, we source all the ingredients. I, I myself, like I said, um, uh, go out and um, make sure that I know what I'm getting and I test it out before. And anything that I make, I feel like if I'm not, if it's not going to make a difference, I actually don't have a, a desire or an inspiration to even bring it into the Nessa line. I feel like if somebody has created something better out there, then there's no need, then I I look to something else. I need to be inspired. you know, I need to have something that would get me going to like make me want to dig and study and figure out how can I make something that is not um, that is not there yet. Um, but you know that's um that's something that is an ongoing and I feel like it's uh, that hunger that the the constant hunger to make anything that I do better and to always feel like I'm a beginner at that level is uh, is great for me personally because I'm never bored I'm constantly enriching my knowledge and uh, and I think that is a big part of the quality is the you know if i see something that i thought even that was great and and tomorrow i realize it's not as great as i thought it was then i have no fear of making a change and i have no fear of, of communicating that either so i think we just have to just always trust our you know inner gut feeling and and create from a passion create from love create from you know, you, When you think about, am I really going to put this on my kids? Am I going to put this on myself? If the answer is no, I'm obviously not going to make it for anybody else to use. So if if I have a self-doubt about any ingredient, I would ju- rather not put it in there than, than have it there.
1: That is awesome to hear. And Michelle has been very generous and she has offered a 15% discount on any of the products from anessa.com. So if you go to anessa.com and add the coupon code summit for wellness, which is all one word, then you can get 15% off. Michelle, can you tell us where to uh, people can find you online?
0: Um, sure. Um, anessa.com. And also we're have Instagram Anessa organic skincare. And um, yeah, check us out. And I'm always um, available for skin consultations. I'm happy to uh, always answer emails and uh, address any kind of uh, questions um, and help in any which way that I can. Even a lot of times, it has nothing to do with Anessa, but you know, sometimes I feel like maybe a client is using products that. Maybe they have to just maybe not touch essential oils right now because they're using something that'll interfere. So I have no problem in, in always just communicating the truth as long as it's going to benefit, you know, my client. The most important thing for me is to have a happy client. You know, I feel like that's that's how it comes back to you, you know, in anything that you do. Work with passion and have happy customers.
1: Well, Thank you, Michelle, for coming on. I appreciate you going to the extra um, distance to be able to provide really quality skincare products for people. It's something that I definitely believe in that should be done by a lot more businesses. And I appreciate you doing that within your own business. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: I hope you were able to learn some new things about the skincare industry and learn more about some of the dark secrets behind ingredients that are used by a lot of the bigger companies. There's a lot of information I did not know about skincare that I learned from this episode myself, especially when it comes down to essential oil usage and how different companies might may dilute the carrier oils or make oils that are similar to the real oils, but make it in a way that it won't change the overall color or the viscosity of the product that they are using. So it's, I think it's really good information to know, especially if you use a lot of skincare products. And as we talked about, the stuff that's within the skincare products can get within your own body. So you want to make sure that the quality of what you're putting on your skin is of the highest quality that you can get Go ahead and take advantage of that 15% off coupon from Michelle. It's very generous of her to do that. So use the coupon code summit for wellness all one word, at inessa.com. If you liked this episode, then please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. They really do help us to get this podcast out in front of more people. So if you go to summit iTunes, that will take you right to the page to the- to leave us a rating and review and it'll help us out. And next week we will be talking with Pat Purcell all about chronic pain and fatigue. So if you are someone that's been suffering from chronic pain for a long time and you want to know some strategies on how to help yourself get out of that pain, this is definitely an episode for you to listen to. So that will be coming out next week and we will see you next time.